Can we let Jared and our worship band know how much we appreciate the time that they put in? Uh, also, our AV guys, we're grateful for you. Uh, everyone who makes Sunday mornings around here happen, uh, you matter. You, you matter to us. Uh, if you are new to Grace or you're here for the first time in a long time, you'll notice some things about our worship services that we are uh, strategically intentional about, that we try to make sure are very clear. Uh, we intentionally use a lot of the Bible in our worship gatherings. I, that may be a shocker to you that at a church called Grace Bible Church that you would use a lot of the Bible, but we do. We're very pro-Bible around here. Uh, we use even follow something that is called a liturgy and... <laughs> Honestly, you may be familiar for, with that word from high church traditions. Uh, maybe you grew up in a mainline situation. But if you have any church background at all, liturgy is usually tied to a couple of things. It's tied to Catholicism or Lutheranism or being a Methodist. And, and, but for us, any church gathering ever, there's always going to be a liturgy. There's going to be a flow, and that flow may include a welcome or when someone prays to bless the gift and the giver. We know that liturgies come with being part of church. And every Sunday for us, when we have scripture readings, we are declaring things and saying things about this God who we claim to believe in and what we believe His Word actually says to us. And for a short season, and we may even move back to it, when we would have our scripture reading, like what Kim did earlier, you would hear this, the Word of the Lord, and we would reply with, thanks be to God. Well, we've moved away from that a little bit, and now we use uh, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, where it reads this, it says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, or the translation on the screen at times says fall, but the word of our God remains forever. And we would reply with, thanks be to God. And the reason that we, Jared, myself, and our elders, that we try to immerse our gatherings wholly in Scripture is pretty simple. I'm flawed. Jared is too, even more so. Our elders are flawed people. This doesn't mean that we don't pray and study and think through what we're going to sing and what we're going to say. It just means that we want you, when you walk away from a gathering here, to walk away with more of the Word than you did with us. That's the goal. Uh, this doesn't... It was, so we, I had a chat the other day with a friend and we were just discussing... Uh, what's called a regulative principle. As a child of the 90s, all that I really knew about regulation was what Snoop Dogg's cousin Nate taught me that regulators were supposed to mount up. And, but to boil it down, what that comes down to is this, that in the most simplest, most simple terms possible, uh, Jared and I believe the Scriptures are provided by God and are the way that we understand every bit of the way that we're supposed to practice our faith. We believe that as a church. Our elders believe that. God has given us His Word, and we want to do what we can to guide you with His Word. Our text for today comes in Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11, and then we'll walk, we'll walk through that together. But as always, I'm going to read this over us. It says this in verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem... And announced to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. 
make straight, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of God will appear. And all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass. And all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on them, indeed the people, their grass, the the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly, raise it, and do not be afraid, say to the cities of Judah, here is our God. See, the Lord God comes with strength, and His power establishes His rule. His wages are with Him, and His reward accompanies Him. He protects His flock like a shepherd. And He gathers the lamb in His arms and carries them in the fold of His garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people, says Yahweh. At this point, if you're unfamiliar with church history, that's okay. The people of Judah are in, exile, are in exile in this place called Babylon due to their disobedience and their idolatry. Isaiah is speaking prophetically to each and to the nation that is facing despair and captivity, that is hoping and praying that the God of the Bible, that Yahweh will restore them. And we are moving to this place of judgment and hope. And what you can see, if we're looking for the central idea of today's text, is this. Honestly, God is going to show them that by His Word, He will carry them through. By the Word of God, He's going to carry His people through. And you see God speaking in this text. He says to Isaiah, say these things to the people of Jerusalem. Say these things to the people of Judah. Let them know that the time of their hard service is over. We're going to move them from their exile. We're going to move them to a place of restoration. The iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. God is restoring and caring doubly in the face of these people's wickedness toward Him. And when we look at this passage, there are certain things that we're going to hear from God, that we're going to see God saying to us that I don't want us to miss. And there are questions that are going to help us, that are going to help us to formulate the way that we see this text and that we see our lives in light of the text as a whole. The first one is this, that you'll see in 3 through 5. Is God missing? The second thing that we will see in in this passage is, is God silent in 6 through 8? And finally, in 9 through 11, does God care? Is God missing? Is God just silent? Does God care? And the fact of the matter is, every one of us at some point in our lives, no matter how together we happen to have things, have asked these questions in the face of difficulty and adversity. Where is he? Does he care? Is he even going to speak to me? Is he 
removed altogether from my current scenario and situation. Is God missing? Does God care? Is God silent? When I think about the notion of is God missing, it brings us to this. Every time that we look at our lives in the face of difficulty, there may be a moment for you, more than likely has been a moment, where you have said, God, where are you? Just for transparency's sake, so that I'm not the only person that's thinking this. If you have ever had a moment in your life where you have said, God, where are you? Raise your hand. Where are you? This is really hard. What I'm dealing with is difficult. Where are you? My family and I moved here in March of 2017. I came to be the pastor here and to work alongside of Jared, who is our associate pastor. And we were thinking through what it would mean for us to be here together. I can remember my very first Sunday preaching in this room And as I looked and thought about the people that I've been invited to pastor, just transparency, church growth is this really weird thing that we have conversations about. And maybe I was stupid. I was. Um, Maybe I was delusional. And I just thought that church growth would be really easy. I, I was so arrogant. One night we were on the way, my wife and I, to one of the fundraisers where we eat chicken from on the river, which is every fundraiser in our community. We just go to the college and eat chicken, give people money. I knew that other pastors were going to be there, and it's the wicked soul of mine. I looked at my wife and said, what if I introduce myself to these guys and say, is it going to be weird when we take a bunch of your people? And she said to me, do you know how terrible of a person you sound like right now? I thought about the church that I get to lead and how they're good. Even in this room every Sunday, there are good people who love the Lord, good people who love His Word. So that was March, and, and I don't know if you remember August of 2017. I do. I met this person named Harvey. I'd never been around hurricanes. I grew up in, in Tennessee. We didn't have hurricanes. They still don't have them there. The ocean's not made its way that far yet. And, but my wife grew up in the Gulf, and I just kept asking her questions because we're in this new neighborhood. I'm like, do we need to put our stuff on cinder blocks or, or what? And she said, hey, look, if, there, if the hurricane hits where we live, it, FEMA's coming to rescue us all. That's what's going to happen. I can remember having these conversations, not knowing what to do. Harvey was a terrible person, just a jerk. And after Harvey, I thought to myself, well, well, maybe we'll see some growth. You don't grow churches during, you know, natural disasters. We started to see a little bit of growth, growth. And and then when we were removed from Harvey, we had a pandemic. Now that caused everybody in the world to fight. Everyone disagreed, and some of us were worried to go out in public, and some of us were wanting to roll around in the floor at Popeye's. Just all of this disagreement, people were putting masks on the rearview mirror of their car, just covered in filth like that's going to do anything. I can remember when we made really hard decisions that we were going to put our services on, stream them on Facebook. It was super weird. 
And people, God, why, why are we doing Do you think I like to be on TV? I'm not photogenic. <laughs> Twelve weeks of that. I sat in, in the conference room over here, which is, doubles as my office because I make it that way. Where are you? On top of that, I've spent a lot of my life traveling and speaking at events. I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I've gotten to do it. It's the only thing that I'm decent at is talking. You, if you're new, you're like, man, rough. <laughs> All of that's canceled. My whole identity wrapped up in the idea that I can open the Bible and say, this, the word of the Lord is right here. That opportunity removed altogether. Where are you? And more than where are you, do you even care? Does God really care about me? Does He care about you? The nation of Israel is in a where are you situation. They are captives of Babylon. We're to the point when the kids have grown up and they don't even remember why they're in captivity. Who's Yahweh? Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Who's doing that? Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. The deliverer is on his way to meet a people who are wondering where he is. They do not know how to react because they don't really know who they are reacting to. Prepare the way of the Lord. And we're having this biblical, scriptural conversation about God acting and who's working. And God is saying, I'm on the way. And as, you, as I come to you, everything that is high will be made low. Everything that is low will be made high. It will be a really smooth transition because when I show up, it will be absolutely clear that I'm in the midst of my people to deliver and rescue them. And when they wonder where I am, I will be right there. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is saying to, to and through Isaiah, I will do whatever it takes to get to my people. There's this old church argument from the 70s and the 80s around this notion of what's called seeker sensitivity. And I understand the problem with the general conversation. It's kind of a weird thing to talk about. Number one, transparency. All of us are seeking after something. Uh, the problem is that when we are left to our own devices, we will never seek for the right thing. Secondly, there is a seeker. The seeker is God. God is forever pursuing wayward people. God is pursuing hurting people, struggling people, 
Hard people, difficult people, wounded people, misunderstood people, broken people, oppressed people, mistreated people. God is pursuing sinful people. God is the God of pursuit. And if our God is not a God of pursuit, He is no God at all. He comes after us. Verse 5, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm pursuing my people. I'm coming for my people. I'm chasing my people. I will get to my people. Verse 6, A voice was saying, cry out. That's a question. Another is saying, what should I cry out? Is God silent is what we're looking at in this portion of the text. And it says, all humanity is grass. And all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. I want you to think for just a moment if you've ever been in a field where dandelions were. You just pick it up and you blow on it and it's gone. It's not even the here today, gone tomorrow situation. It's here today, gone today. It's the debris on this fence that's been built beside our church. It will blow on it, and then it will blow over. Here today, gone today. We've got a brand new fence that we had nothing to do with, and I have multiple opinions about. Indeed, the people, they're like grass. Now think about what's happening here. It's saying to us in 6 through 8, the idea of the voice of the Lord and Him asking, what should I cry out? And the notion of the grass withering. Well, God is using this to give us an understanding of who He is in light of who we are. That He is eternal when we are finite. That He is forever when we are absolutely not forever. Think about how unforever you are. How finite you are. Church members saw me limping through the hallways a couple of weeks ago because that's what I do. She said, what would you do? I said, I played ball last night. She said, you know, it's not going to get any easier. Mind your business, Kathy. (laughs) The doctor told me the other day that you are past the age when. I just stopped him right there. I do weird stuff now. I I was at H-E-B yesterday, and I showed the picture of my kid's dog to the sample lady. I have to admit it, the Cole saw me at H-E-B. It was pretty embarrassing. There was one sample lady who, she said, hey, you should get some of these for your kids or your grandkids. I turned the table over on her right there. (laughs) Like in the Bible, John 2, y'all. It's fading. But it's more than that. Think about the political world that they live in and the political world that you happen to live in. Things are fading. Everything is momentary. Things that politicians told us 30 years ago, those the people who belong to that party that are still in power, both of them, are telling you their thoughts from then are obsolete. Language like safe, legal, and rare, whatever that means, completely forgotten. We are looking at a world that is 
finite. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The ideas that are present, they're they're going to blow away. What is one thing, one thing in the face of all of this that will hold true? The Word of our God will remain forever. In a world of shifting thought, the forever God of Scripture does not shift. He does not change. He is not moved by the times. He is not shaken by the election that we will more than likely talk about more than I prefer over the next few months. He is not wondering, oh my me, what will I do? What about, when I'm, what about when I fail and when I'm faithless? 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. Is God missing? Is God silent? The answer to those two questions is pretty obvious. No. No. The no is because He speaks to us through His Word. That He is for us through His Word. That He will lead His people by the power of His Word. What about this final question in light of God seeing us through by the power of His Word? Does God care? Zion, herald of good news. Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. And say to the cities of Judah, say to those, paraphrase, who need to be rescued, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and His power establishes His rule. His wages are with Him. His reward accompanies Him. And we begin to think of the intense power of this God coming to rescue His people. And when we read words like power, when you look at it in the original language, it literally says, His arm. His arm establishes His rule. He is flexing. He is displaying Himself. He is the all-powerful God of Scripture. Job 37, 23. Just to align ourselves with what the whole of Scripture teaches, Job 37 says this, The Almighty, we cannot reach Him. He is exalted in power, lifted up. In His justice and righteousness, He will not oppress Psalm 62, God has spoken once, I have heard this twice, strength belongs to our God. Jeremiah 32, 17, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Revelation chapter 19. No dragons, just a verse. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling 
pealing of loud thunder saying hallelujah because our Lord God, the Almighty, He reigns. That God sounds fantastic and powerful and altogether other. But that God, the same one with the outstretched arm, he protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing Somewhere in the midst of it all, we've decided that either God is powerful and He looks and sounds like whatever display of powerful voices in our heads that there happen to be, He's that. If the God who we meet in Scripture is just that, you're not meeting the whole God of Scripture. The same God who lifts his arm to display his power, he stretches his arm around those that he loves. One commentator says this, our big God is incredibly gentle. If the God who you worship is not the all-powerful God of the Bible and he's just gentle, that's not God, that's just a really a manifestation of what you believe God should be. If your God is just powerful and not gentle, that's just a manifestation of what you believe God should be. And more often than not, if we're not finding our basis for that in the Scriptures, that manifestation is just a manifestation of us. I love this, that in the book of Zephaniah, it says that He rejoices over you. I may be mistaken, Jared, but if I'm not mistaken, the, the connotation for Him rejoicing is that He does what? God who holds the world together by the word of its power, the universe in its hand, He sings over you. So for every mama and daddy who sing songs for their kids at night, maybe you're singing worship songs or lullabies or Randy Travis like I do at my house. The all-powerful God of Scripture who can do anything, He sings over the fact that you belong to Him because He cares for you. That shepherd, that shepherd that we see extending His arms over His flock. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays His life down for His sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. That's withering and fading. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. But I have other sheep 
he says, that are not of this pen, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice all together. This good shepherd calling sheep to himself. The powerful shepherd of the scriptures speaking gently over the nations, calling them to trust him. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. He lays down his life for the sheep. The beauty of coming together as a family of faith every Sunday is that we're coming around that. We're celebrating that. That God meets us in his word, and he meets us at the table. If you're a believer in this room and you belong to Grace Bible, we're so glad you're here. We, we love you and we're thankful for you. And we're going to come to the table in just a minute and we're going to eat of the bread and we're going to drink of the, of the juice and we're going to remember what God has done. The God, all-powerful God of Scripture, gently laying His life down so that you could know Him. If you're not a member of our church, but you're a believer in Jesus, you are invited to the table as well. We want you to come to the table and celebrate what God has done for you and His Son, this all-powerful God who would lay down His life so that you could know Him. We celebrate that together. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I would ask you to stay away from the table and come talk to me instead because I offer you something better than the wafer that's at this table if you're not a believer. Jesus offers you something better. Jesus calls you to Himself. Jesus gently and powerfully pursues you simultaneously. And that's who wants to meet with you. So I invite us to bow our heads as a family of faith this morning. I'm going to walk us through a prayer. I do this from time to time. If you're not a believer in Jesus... And somehow in the midst of this text, God has chosen to show Himself to you. That He has made the mountains low and the valleys high so that He can pave a way to get to you because He is pursuing you right now. I would invite you just to do that. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. I invite you to pray that. Jesus, pray that. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. Jesus, there is no hope in anyone and any place other than you. So Jesus, you take my sin. Take my sin that I can't control. Take my sin that I don't understand. Take my sin that has separated me from you. You take my sin. And I want to trust that you have laid your life down for me. If you prayed that or something like that, I want you to meet me in the back corner of the room on my right-hand side beside the, the door in the lobby. And I would love to share with you what it means to place your trust in Jesus. You have placed your trust in Jesus. Jesus, you take my sin. I want you. Secondly, before we come to the table, if you're a believing person here and you have your faith in Christ Jesus, 
Maybe those questions were weighing heavy on you today. Is God missing? Does God care? Is he just silent? Just think for a moment of how God speaks to you from his word. Before you immediately jump up to meet him at the table. Father, we thank you for the chance that we've had to get together in your word this morning. I thank you that it is true because you are true. You are faithful in it. Continue to meet us. God, if you have saved lost people this morning, God, I pray that they will publicly express that. And God, I thank you that you are both powerful and gentle and those things don't cancel each other out. We ask all this in your name, Lord and Christ. And everyone says. Amen.